Ready? Go. That's the voice of Hawaiian surfer Makua Rothman, and I'm Chris Weidman, and this is Won't Back Down, presented by Bio Accelerator. Makua Rothman is a guy who I met during the USO tour, where I went to Afghanistan, Iraq, Germany, Italy, and, and uh, one or two other places. Um, the USO tour is an organization that brings celebrities and athletes and entertainers overseas to connect with you know, our armed forces to kind of give them a break, give them a, a day of normalcy and uh, entertain them. So, you know, as the fighters, we kind of talked about fights that we've been through and they got to, you know, ask us any questions they wanted to. Then we would take pictures, you know, put up our fists and and all that. It was it was amazing. But Makua Rothman, he stole the show. Um, I thought of him as just a world champion surfer at the time, you know, from Hawaii. He has that chill, aloha spirit. But he's also an unbelievably decorated uh, musician, and he played the ukulele uh, the, during the USO tour, and he really blew everybody away. Um, he happens to be like 12th removed king of Hawaii. I mean, he's somehow related to the, the original king of Hawaii. Uh, his, his dad uh, was a part of the Dahui, which is kind of like the mafia you know, of Hawaii. And... Uh, we uh, we talked about a whole bunch of stuff. We talked about what what it's like in Hawaii during the pandemic and what he's trying to do to uh, help deal with that. It's been very restrictive, uh, especially for businesses. Um, we go through a whole bunch of stories. But at the end, the first ever live musical performance of Won't Back Down is going to be happening. So make sure you stick around for that one. Don't you fast forward. Don't you cheat. But all that is going to come up in a moment. But before you begin, I want to tell you about Won't Back Down's presenting sponsor, BioAccelerator. BioAccelerator is the world leader in stem cell therapy and regenerative medical research. Through the use of their powerful golden stem cells, they help patients heal from joint and orthopedic injuries, autoimmune disorders, spine and disc damage, and neurological trauma. I am feeling so much better after going to Medellin, Colombia and to BioAccelerator to get my stem cells. I got pretty much my whole body injected. Um, my lower leg is getting stronger by the second, thanks to them. Um, I highly recommend you check it out. If you have anything going on inside your body that you want to be treated, uh, they, they treat you like first class. Unbelievable experience, and I can't wait to go back again at some point, maybe a year or two down the line. Um, I want to thank BioAccelerator again for sponsoring Won't Back Down. And also, if you want to see some video highlights from this conversation, be sure to check out my YouTube channel. And now, without further ado, here's my full conversation with the great Makua Rothman. So fast forward to our first event where we're meeting with these soldiers. I think we might have been like Afghanistan or something. And this dude just like appears on the stage with the, the ukulele. And he starts playing this ukulele and then he starts singing. And this guy's got the voice of an angel. And look, he's good looking already. And he steals the show. Everywhere we went, this guy stole the show. You know, and all respect, all respect to everyone else who was with us. But you have to, you would have to admit everything. I think every one of them would probably admit, maybe not, but whatever. It's the truth, according to me. This dude stole the show. And that's not what he was even like. That's not what I expected. That's not like the 
biggest thing on his resume. It's not like he, you know, he's just a musician. He's a world champion surfer. But what blew me away the most about it is like, I'm talking to this dude, you know, so obviously everyone's always, you know, everyone's egos are always, you know, in play, you know, you got like, you know, all these kind of celebrity dudes. We're going out there to do this tour and I'm a world champion fighter. And you think when I'm talking to him, I'm trying to prod and like, ask like what he, what he's going to do. You think he would want to tell me right away and be like, Nah, bro. I'm like a legit singer and I play the ukulele and like, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, show these people some aloha. And, but yeah, he didn't even say anything. Just humble as hell. I was like, <laughs> I like this guy a lot. And then I found out we had the same exact birthday to the day and year, which is insane. I don't know if I've ever even met anybody that had that before. So this is my, this is my guy, bro. As humble as could be. And, uh, I seen that, I seen that front and center. Yeah, man. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you for the introduction, Rick, bro. Um, yeah, it was, it was a crazy, uh, it was a crazy trip. It was an amazing experience. Glad I got to share it with someone like you. Um, we had some fun times, oh, funny yeah, stories, did. and um, it was great to go out there and, and um, you know, be humbled by the experience of seeing what people go through that sacrifice. You know. I've, Obviously, people have sacrificed their lives, but everybody that sacrifices every day to go out there and keep this country, you know, what it is today. And, um, yeah, like I said, it was, it was a humbling experience. It was wonderful. It was great to just go out there and be able to spread the aloha to the troops. Um, you could just tell how happy everybody was to break the monotony of everyday life out there in the desert and um, share some stories from home. And have some awesome people come out there and tell some funny stories, do do some cool skits, and have a good time. Yeah, bro, it was it was such a crazy experience. And again, I like it, like like you said, it's so humbling because we're over here in the United States. We're you know we're doing our everyday life, and you know you know focused on what we have to accomplish in life, taking care of our families, and uh, you forget that there's so many people just sacrificing everything in our life and possibly their actual life to take care of this country and to make sure we have the freedoms that we have. And we until better, I really we went keep there. Those <laughs> What's that? So we better keep those freedoms. They're in jeopardy I know, right bro, now. <laughs> what the hell is going on? What is going on, bro? And I think Hawaii has been like front and center. And I, especially with the MMA community because of BJ Penn talking about running for governor, bro. Like what is like, it's, it's crazy everywhere. I mean, I'm in a red state now. Thank God. I went to, uh, you know, I went to South Carolina. So, you know, my kids aren't forced to wear masks every day and, you know, they're, they're, we're not being mandated to have vaccines inside restaurants and stuff, you know, uh, at this point. But if you don't fight, you know, they just keep taking more and more. We keep seeing that. Like what they're doing, what they're doing in New York is just disgusting. And how they're getting rid of literally the, the people that were on the front lines of this thing in the beginning are losing their jobs. Police officers and firefighters and, you know, nurses like it's this is insane. You can't even write this. This isn't. Absolutely crazy because they decide they don't want to put something in their body, you know, and who knows better than them? Like everyone should have the right to do what they want with their own damn body, like and make that and make that decision on their own. And forget about like about about the fact that the large, a large majority of them probably already had COVID and have natural yeah. immunity and they're still being forced or they lose their job. I just it's just freaking mind boggling to me. Just imagine, uh, you know, it's uh, like when we went on that trip. There was um, a life before this life, I guess. And you could talk to somebody and have a conversation about how they were and how the kids were and every other thing. It seems like the media has done such a great job with 
I guess, injecting this narrative, whatever it may be, that you can't even talk to your friend like you used to without having this subject come up. I know. You know whether it's a mask or a mandate or a freedom or a, um, you know, whatever it is that's going on right now. It's, it's, it's crazy because, like you said, our last trip together was such an amazing one and there had this never existed you know there was a whole nother time i guess there's like uh what do you call there's uh bc and ad mm-hmm. and what what and what is it is this bc again before covid and then and then it's uh, ac yeah. after covid yeah so biblical shit again you know and um um our kids are not going to remember what it's like in BC, bro. We're going to have to tell stories. The tales will have to go on. Don't <laughs> forget the mask and yeah, all that stuff. Now, exactly. You know what's crazy is I went to my daughter's soccer practice yesterday, and uh, I keep ashamed to take off of it, take his mask off, and I didn't understand why. This kid took his mask off, and he literally has a mask tan on his face. Like you know, people get like raccoon eyes from the sunglasses or like you know in hawaii people wear slippers they get like a tan on their feet with the, the marks but yeah, <laughs> this, yeah. this kid actually had an actual mask tan and wow. i was like oh my goodness it's it's crazy to see because hawaii hawaii is a very special place and i think that a lot of the things that are implemented in hawaii can be implemented around the world especially like our aloha spirit and um the love and respect that come from this place. A lot of places look up to it. A lot of, it's just a tiny little speck in the middle of the ocean, but the aloha that comes from here has so much power that it can change the world. And I think that if Hawaii changes and Hawaii becomes a place of, uh, I don't want to say a sanctuary, but you know, if Hawaii leads, the rest of the world will follow, I think. And then a lot of great things can come out of here. And right now, I don't think we're, we as a, place are doing um, right by it i don't think that um the things that are going on are, are right here because our like you said you live in a, a blue state and a red state i don't really understand what the, you know a blue state means a mask and a red state doesn't a blue state means a mandate and a red state doesn't i mean what is that i thought we we're just in america you know it sounds like well. they're, they're, they're trying to divide black and white now they're because the black and white thing got so crazy, they turned it into blue and red. You know what it's I mean? crazy. Yeah, well, it's freedom versus government. You know what I mean? That's basically what it is. Like the red is still hanging on to, you know, you know, freedom is the most important thing. And the blue is like, no, you guys are crazy. You need to listen to what the government and the science is saying. And that's basically the, the freaking the blue. Yeah. Well, you know, like you say, freedom versus government. Well, everybody that was here that won their freedom from the crown created a government. So it's like, you know, it started from the beginning of time, beginning of this country that people wanted to, I think it's just human nature to want to rule, human nature to want to kill, human nature to want to, um, you know, take species out. I mean, it's just what humans been doing from the beginning of time is, you know, there was once a time where, yeah, the human, you know, the, the native, the native people worked and lived with the land, but they also killed each other. They yeah. also went and raided villages. They went all, also went and wiped out the other people that didn't think like them or didn't have the same practices as them or whatever it may be. So it's just kind of a 
trippy thing, the evolution of the human race. And uh, this is just part of it. And I think that we do need to stand up and fight as, and really come together as one instead of so much division and show that humans are intelligent enough to, uh, you know, not only want to take divide and conquer, but to come together to um, show aloha and to, and to be one people and to show love, you know, because uh, I think that we can all get through this through, um, you know, making better decisions and letting people think for themselves instead of always having someone think for you and, you know, someone knows better. And yeah. because that's, that's, like I said, that's how it was in any time, you know, our tribe knows better than ours, so just kill you. Yeah. You know, our government knows what's good for you, so you take this or we say it's just, it's almost like a never-ending door. You know, the, the door you push and just keeps going round and round and round. And yeah. you either got to jump out or stay in and keep going for the ride. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's like, I mean, Rogan said this and it's it's it really puts it into perspective. Is that, you know, the United States is the first country in the history of human beings and humankind to have a democracy, to not have a dictatorship. And then that's why they call us the leaders of the free world, because we were the first you know, to create balances of power and create freedom to the people. And if you don't, and I, and I, and I think because it's just in our DNA to go that direction, like you give people power, they're going to take it, you know, it's just how it is. And if the government has the power, they're going to keep taking more and more before, and before you know it, that they, you know, they're your King and you're their people. And I think if you're not fighting for it, it's going to go, it heads that way. And right now it's like, we're in this fight, you know, of, trying to hold on to the freedoms that we remember and what we had. But you gotta, you gotta, you gotta remember that the other way of, since we're the first in the history of people, what are we 200 years old, America? Something like that, right? Something like that. Yeah. Maybe a little more, little more, but for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, it's been the other way. Yeah. And I don't think, you know, like I said, because it's probably ingrained in people that, you know, the new way, you know, just like our new way of thinking, nobody really likes it. Everybody, oh, you're a conspiracy theory or whatever. You think that's a different way than everybody else. People start looking at it. What's wrong with this guy? Yeah. You know, we, we need to make him start thinking like us again. So it's almost like our little 200-year-old country is in front of thousands of years of a certain way going, hmm, how do we make this back to the way it was? You know yeah. what I mean? I mean, it's, it's just... Uh, it's a trip, man. I love, that's why I love being out there in Hawaii. We're in the middle of the ocean. You know, we can hunt and surf and fish and dive and live an island lifestyle that was never really connected to it until we were uh, occupied by it. But uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's a whole different way of Everyone life. Everyone just gets occupied, bro. <laughs> it's terrible it's terrible yeah but anyway what about you bro what's been going on never mind all that other bs what about you know i like that picture behind you the one where you're going like that one oh you I like that what's up uh, with that that was after my oh wait this this guy right here that one yeah that guy right the painting, there that was a fan made that for me that's that's from a picture uh after my first ufc fight ever and I had those shorts hung up. So those were white shorts, but they're literally like brown because they were covered with Alessio Sakara's blood. Uh, hit him with an elbow in the second round. It was a bloody mess of a first fight in the UFC. The one above oh, yeah. that is actually my favorite. That's my, other than winning the belt against Anderson Silva the first time, that was the happiest I ever was because I won the state championship. Doesn't sound like anything crazy uh, to a lot of people, but I wanted to win the state championship so bad for so long. And 
that was the moment I did. And it was a very close match against the what high, what high school was that? So that that was so the way it works in New York and obviously most most states is your high school goes to a county tournament. If you win the county, well, when I was there, if you win the county tournament, then you go to the state tournament. Each county and each section of New York State has their own little counties or sections, right? So that's a qualifier to go to the state tournament. So I won that to go there. So I was representing my section. Section 8 was actually the name of the section. And, section 8? Uh, hey. Section 8, baby. Represent. <laughs> what's say? What's say? Why not, baby? <laughs> my bad. You're North Shore. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> we all won. We get to Hawaii. That's right. That's right. What, what, uh, what is that? Was that what, that what was weight were you back there? That, that was 189 pounds. I didn't really cut weight. I didn't really cut that much weight for it. But uh, yeah, that was fun, bro. Um, so what's up with you? What's going on with surfing? Where are you at with surfing right now? Yeah, we had one swell. We had a uh, uh, for our first, you know, waves at Jaws. And um, so funny is I was on the uh, set for Magnum PI doing stunts. So I was <laughs> I really. Yeah, so I had the whole week of um, work going on, and the swell came up, so I couldn't break my contract and leave. And uh, the stunt road's been amazing to me. I've been doing stunts for a while now, and uh, they've really uh, took me in and, and, and made me a part of their crew, and I, I really I really love it. Um, it's guys who do some amazing stuff. Some of the stunts that, you know, Tunnel I read and a lot of these other guys do for The Rock and stuff, to watch that and watch them work to double some of the greatest actors there are. It's, um, it's an art. You know, you got to be in shape. You got to be an athlete. You got to be ready to take falls. You got to be ready to do a lot of things and think on a moment's notice because just like surfing, the variables change in, in the ocean. You know, we don't have, we're going with the mother nature. It'll throw you a curveball whenever it wants to. Um, just like, um, you know, the movie set, you never know. There's someone else driving the car. There's someone else operating the rig. There's someone else that rigs the stuff, the cannons, the, you know, all this kind of fire and everything. So you kind of I kind of get the same kind of rush when I go out and do stunts as I do surfing. So it's um, it's been a blessing to be able to balance the two lately. And um, just raising kids, man, like a 10-year-old, a 7-year-old, and a 4-year-old. Um, We're on the same wavelength right there, pretty much. Just going, just going through, you know how it is, going through the blows. And um, I just went to, I just went to Texas and visited my son. I haven't seen him for five months. He moved out there with, with his mother and uh, went out and did a thing with Lewis Hamilton. We went and uh, surfed Waco. So I took, we went out where, there and did a little. Um, wait, surfing where? At, in Waco. Where's that at? Um, I have no idea. Waco, Texas, you know, like uh, oh. Back in the day, they had that big raid and they broke. Oh, that's the right. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. God bless their souls. But uh, that's where Baylor yeah, is. Back uh, right, right there, uh, about a mile down the road from where all that went down, there's a wave pool. And um, Lewis Hamilton raced in Austin, Texas, and he did the F1 in Austin. And from there, we went down to Waco and had a surf session. Now, has he surfed before? Or was this like the first time? No, he surfed before. He surfs a couple of times. He surfed with Kelly a few times. He went to Kelly's pool out there in um, Lemoore, California. But uh, wait, now Kelly, surfing. Kelly's a dude. He he's right by you on the North Shore too, right? I think I seen him when I came out by you, right? Or yeah, Kelly lives dude? just down. Kelly just lives down by Pipeline. 
Yeah. Right down the street from me. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Kelly, the goat, the greatest uh, of all time. That is Superman himself. He's a, he's a great guy. He's a great competitor and he's a great um, example of never giving up and then training and keeping your mind like a top Brady. You know, he's, I'm not sure. He probably, he's got to be close to 50 now and still he can bang with the best of them. Does he do big waves too? Or is he like, what is his specialty? He does anyways. He's just a freak. I mean, he can surf big waves. He can surf small waves. He does it all. He's one of the Eddie I call it. Um, you know, at one point people were saying over here on the North shore, well, Kelly doesn't surf pipeline. Kelly hasn't proven himself in, in big waves and this and that. And, to every one of the dollars, every person that's ever told him he couldn't, he went out and made sure that he showed them that he could. And, and he done it multiple times and became the best in my eyes that there ever was. And I'm not sure if there'll be one like him in a long time. Is he just doing better tricks than you on the waves? Is that what it is? <laughs> He's just, uh, for me, I mean, I've only competed against him a few times, but what I could see his mind game was a much stronger than everybody else's. And I mean, mind game by out of the water, you know, uh, out of doing the things that you're supposed to do when no one's looking. He's, uh, he was doing all the right things and it showed in the ocean and how strong. I mean, just having him in, in people's heat would make them not be able to surf. Really? I mean, they know they have to surf against him. And some of the best surfers in the world would just fumble and just be like, oh, oh, oh. there's only one person. I could really take it to him in those Andy Irons. Um, really? You know, yeah. He he was the one that could shut Kelly down. I mean, he was the one that could get in his head and yeah. make him make the mistakes. And um, it was such a great rivalry to see. You see it in football. You see it in um, MMA. You know, you see it in boxing trilogies and stuff. And that was just one that was for the ages that there's never been a rivalry like that in surfing. And I'm not sure if there'll be another one like that. And, to, uh, you know, Andy's not no longer with us, but um, his memory, his legacy, and everything he's ever done, ever, that he's ever done, will always be um, kept going forward by us guys, mm -hmm. and his remembrance will, will never fade. But um, he'll always be re remembered as well as the guy who could slay the giant. And um, he became the giant for a while, and he became the dominant force over Kelly. And... Um, you know, unfortunately, he was taken from us at a young age. Now, he didn't die in the water, did he? No, he, um, uh, I'm not sure exactly the exact details, but um, he was, uh, he was in a hotel room in Texas. And I think he had heart failure or something like that, uh, some kind of uh, clogged artery, you know, how people get uh, heart attacks or, you know, even at a young age, if you don't go and check yourself out, especially men prostate, heart, and all that stuff's really important. I guess um, he had a complication with his heart. Damn, that sucks, man. I'm sorry to hear that. He, you were pretty close to him? Yeah, he's a good friend of mine. I mean, we all grew up together. We all uh, surfed together our whole lives. And he was uh, he was the one carrying the Hawaiian flag. He was the one carrying Hawaii to the surf world. And um, it was uh, it was a great time. He, he had a lot of, he made a lot of memories for a lot of people. And he made a lot of uh, young Hawaiians want to be professional surfers. Um, just him doing what he did for that short time really made a mark on the, the surfing in Hawaii, the youth mm. of Hawaii. 
they um you know you ask any kid from Hawaii what they want to be like probably gonna tell you yeah the arts. <laughs> that's crazy are you are you trying to do like surfing full time? Are you trying to become like you have like crazy goals for yourself? Trying to become world champion or compete in big yeah, tournaments? Yeah, um, if they if they if they run our tour again, I'm definitely um, I'll definitely go for another world title. Um, it's just with COVID and the way that the WSL runs the governing body of surfing. Right now, we only have. Uh, one specialty event at Jaws. And we have one specialty event at Nazare, that big wave in Portugal. You see that 100 foot wave on uh, HBO? You see that document? That? Yeah, 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 yep. Yeah. So Great. that wave in Portugal, there's a there's an event, but it's a towing event. So there's one paddling event, the one towing event. So as of right now, we don't really have a tour, but um, hopefully soon they'll be getting it up and running again. And uh, with all the restrictions and everything around the world, Logistically, I think it's just hard for them to put on big wave events because, like you folks, November 19th, 8 p.m., Madison Square Garden, you're fighting, right? Yeah, yeah. Surfing, you know, like I said, it's Mother Nature, but wait for the storms. It's not, you can't really plan a day. You can't just say, like, oh, tomorrow at this time, the surf's going to be on yeah. and have it on TV. So it's a little, it's a little more, um, more difficult to predict, a little more difficult to have the big tv deals and that big money behind it and i think that's why they're struggling a little bit trying to figure that part out but i'm just a surfer so i'll let the businessman oh, do it too. <laughs> yeah that's a that's a and i'm sure it's expensive too to get the cameras out there during a storm and how about like crowds there's no can you have a crowd when there's a storm of people go on the beach for these huge waves yeah there's there's big crowds but you know what's crazy and i don't think anybody's ever said this publicly or whatever but I think big wave surfing and the WSL big wave world tour, they're probably not going to like this, but so what? Um, I think big wave surfing on the tour is the only professional world championship tour that you can go to work and lose money. Oh, you guys don't get paid. So you get, I think it was $1,500 to show up somewhere around the world to appearance fee. Right, you get paid fifteen hundred dollars to show up. Now, just to show up. Now you're paying for you, they're paying for your flight and everything. No, you're paying for your own flight. So if they get to Hawaii from Hawaii to Europe, three days notice, thirty five hundred bucks probably minimum. And then, uh, you know, you get a place. I, you know, some guys got a place to stay. Some guys didn't. Um, it's pretty crazy knowing that you could pay that much, and not not to mention your surfboards how much they charge for surfboards to go on an airplane. It's not like, it's not just a bag you put on. Surfboards cost hundreds of dollars to take around the world. And, um, you know, you pay around, what, 4000 to get there, maybe more sometimes because it's a last-minute ticket. And uh, if you don't finish in the top three, I would say you're losing money. And there's not too many so-called tours or organizations that you can go somewhere and lose money doing your job. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, how many participants are usually in these, in these tours? Um, there's 24 people per 24 event. people. And how do they, how do they get qualified? Are you get qualified or you just, how does that work? Yeah. So you, like the top 12 qualify from the year previous. Gotcha. 
And then the uh, next 12 come off of like local ratings. They come off of uh, there's wild cards. There's a bunch of different things where they can like, they choose. There's uh, two spots where they choose up and coming guys or whatever it may be. And, and how much are these leagues, are these leagues making good money? What like TV deals and stuff? Is that what they, where they get their money from? Um, these leagues, surf leagues have big sponsors. Um, they have people that sponsor their events. They, um, I'm not really sure exactly like how they do it, but I know that any sport that doesn't have a TV deal or doesn't have some kind of streaming deal or something, it's probably going to be struggling. And, um, I'm really not sure how they do it exactly. I know a lot of uh, countries pay for pay for some of the events to be there. Um, Just for that want to yeah. pump up their tourism and stuff like that. But, um, you know, big wave surfing was never really meant for a tour. So yeah, it's a, it's definitely a sticky situation. And I think they're um, trying to figure that out. But the beauty of big wave surfing, it was the people that didn't really want to conform to the regular traveling surfing tour. They wanted to explore, find bigger and bigger waves. It's more like a renegade. You know, it's only certain people that could actually handle. You know, there's only so many people that could actually get in those waves and survive. Before there was no blow-up vest. Now we have these blow-up vests. We have, you know, like on the airplanes, just pull the two red tabs. We wear one of those. It's a custom-made one. It goes under our suit, pull it, it blows up. Back in the day, you had to be a waterman. You couldn't just uh, show up and blow up. You know what I mean? That's crazy. You had to, uh, you had to live the life of a waterman. You have to be very comfortable and know the currents. There was no jet skis to pick you up. There was no people out there besides the people you went out with. So you had to know the ocean. You had to know your skill level, and you had to really be a waterman. As for nowadays, the implementation of jet skis and flotation devices and all these things. Gives a lot of false sense of security to a lot of people thinking, oh, I'm just going to go buy a blow-up suit and go buy these pads that'll just float me up. And because I'm stupid enough to paddle out, not even crazy, these people are out there. But what, what they don't understand is they're getting in other people's way. Their mistakes put other people's lives in danger. And it's not like they're actually doing anything. A lot of them are just getting splattered across the wave. And it's more <laughs> entertainment for us. But at the same day, we got to put our lives on the line to save them because we're not going to just leave anybody. You know, we see somebody that's hurt and we know what to do. It'll be, it's kind of hard to be like, I don't know that guy, let him jump. Yeah. You got a responsibility. Almost you know what I mean? So yeah, so it's, it's the big way surf community is a brotherhood. We all have the responsibility to watch over each other, watch over one another and make sure we go home to our families. Oh my gosh. So when you first started do, doing the big wave surfing, did it have the blow up system? No, there was no blow up system. There was no, the jet ski kind of was just implemented a little bit and um, things were changing in the big wave world. The uh, technology was about to change it and make it the sport that it is today. And without those jet skis and without those things, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have accomplished a lot of the things in my career because you know, that first 66 foot wave that I caught, I was towed in, I didn't paddle in. And um, I really think that's where surfing is missing out is really implementing the uh, existence of the, you know, the motor and the companies that get behind those kind of motorsports. 
and really bringing the jet skis in and making the toe in a really big part. Surfers have this thing of, oh, I caught the wave by myself. You know, I paddled into the wave. Well, there's a lot of waves that you can't paddle into. No way. Like a 66-foot wave. No how. Um, is it possible? A 66-foot wave, you could paddle into a 66-foot wave, depending where you're at and the conditions. The conditions are right. But when it's windy, when it's big, when it's rural, you know, there's waves in Australia at the right and these places that you will not you will not paddle into that wave and catch one. Um, <laughs> and there's, it's in Tahiti, you know, a place called Tiahupo in, uh, in Tahiti. It's once it gets big, you're not paddling into one. I don't care who you are, where you came from. One of those big, big sets come in. It's just not humanly possible once Mother Nature starts moving at a certain speed to keep up with it. Uh. So... And there's a reason the ocean is the most powerful thing on this earth. There's a reason it covers 70% of this earth because I don't think anything can stop the ocean, stop water, period. I think water is the most powerful thing we have. Um, we're made up of water. Uh, so it's, uh, it's been a blessing. Turn, don't you turn Aquaman on me right now. <laughs> I am Aquaman. Real Aquaman. Water, water boy <laughs> over here. So, uh, yeah, it's just, um, it's been a blessing. It's been a good ride. And, you know, being 37 years old now, I'm trying to diversify. I have shark tours. I have a bagel company. I have um, a few other things, clothing stuff I'm working on. And, you know, as surfers, we don't have a retirement. There's no, you know, these companies, they'll sponsor you. And if you're not smart or you're not putting that money away or doing something with it, they don't care. They're going to take the next younger up-and-coming person granted there are a few lucky people who you know fit the mold and then get you know to ride it out for a while but most yeah. people there's no uh there's no retirement there's no guarantees there's nothing once you're done you get kicked to the curb a lot of people you know, i see a lot a lot a lot of ex-surfers struggling and um it's not like the companies are trying to give up any more of their money for them um it's a thing that it's a real tricky sport to navigate once you're on the other side and you're, um, you know, maybe past your prime, you know, uh, there's announcing jobs, there's, you know, different things that you could do, but a lot of the smart ex-surfers started their own companies. A lot of the smart ex-surfers became heads of big companies and they seen that, you know, there's only so much upside on the upside, you know, that you got to, Either get behind the scenes and um, or create your own brand, which a lot of people haven't been successful at. And um, I think that goes with any sport or any um, athlete that, you know, once you've done your thing, hopefully on the way you've made relationships and you've created um, friendships that you can use in business and, and become, you know, successful average person. <laughs> you know, once you get out of the scene, you got to become you know, you're not the star, the lights are off, the fans aren't screaming anymore, and it's the people around you that you've, those circles you've created that are going to keep you going and, and keep life on the up, I think. You're going to make me depressed, Makua. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, fighting, no, fighters are the same, bro. It's like, it's crazy because when you get into any professional sport, whether it be surfing or fighting or football, it doesn't matter. Like, You've heard the stories, you know, like, listen, you always got to think of other things to do. You got to do other things because it's not going to last forever. So, you know, hopefully you can make some money and, you know, put it away and, 
you know, get ready for the next chapter of your life. But when you're involved in something that you're obsessed with, it's hard to have any other room in your brain to focus and have a passion for something else. So it's very difficult to branch off and start doing other things when you're really focused on your job. I mean, it's doable. People have done it and it's amazing. Uh, but for me, it's, it's super hard. Like I thank God I've done good in fighting and, you know, I've got my degrees I, and I like, I feel like I could be successful in other things, like in compared to, you know, some people, other people that are fighters, like, and, and not, they're not, I don't feel like I was stressed enough to where I felt like I'd be screwed if I don't focus on something while I was fighting. I guess I'll say it that way. So it let me just really focus on fighting. But as I got injured, injured and you have more time, I'm more time away. And now I'm 37, you know, it's like, holy crap, I'm 37 now. You know, how much longer do I really have? I don't know. Glover just won a title at 42, bro. I know. What's going I think, on? Bro, I ain't fighting until I'm 42, bro. I'm hanging on by a, like a skinny leg right now. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I, I got one little skinny ass leg. How's that going? It's all right, man. It's it's actually good. I um I went to Bioaccelerator. Did you see did you you see Bioaccelerator, the stem cells? I know I seen. Is that down in Colombia? Colombia, Medellin, Colombia. How Have is you been that? there? You need to go because your body needs it. <laughs> I feel so much better. I came back. I wasn't sure. My leg was still killing me. It was still weak. Uh my knee because they put because they took a rod and put it through my shin bone, the tibia, and they put the rod through my knee joint. They tore up my knee. Up. They tore my knee up. My knee was already, I already had seven surgeries on that knee before that. So my knee was shot. My man, I don't know, man. I like, I started sparring and stuff when I got back and I was like doing all right. I'm like, I'm like, you know what? Maybe I could fight again. And the next thing I know, it's like it hit, like the stem cells are starting to hit now. I'm starting to feel really good, man. Uh, so I'm coming back and I'm going to shock some people. Yeah. I got, some, like I got some, here. I got some Come big on, fights. Bro, I want to see you back in there. I'm coming out. I'm coming back out, bro. I'm coming out. Uh, I'm, I can't wait to make that walk again. I was just at UFC 268. Uh, <laughs> uh, corner of my boy Volante. Ally Quinta was there. I was in his locker room and stuff. You know, I didn't corner him, but, you know, I was I was there for him. And um, it gave me that bug. I'm like, oh, man, I got to I gotta get this leg going and get back out there. <laughs> I bet it did. Glover Teixeira, 42 years old, come out and dominate. You know, for the light heavyweight uh, championship, was that was crazy, man. I was so happy for him. And he was in the locker room with me at UFC 268. He was cornering his boy, uh, Pereira. You've been wa yep. you watching the fights? Have you been watching? Yeah, of course. Bro, these fights have been insane. Oh, yeah. Guys have been doing some some crazy shit. You think it's just everyone's sick of, like, their freedoms being taken? And they're just like, you know what? I'm <laughs> All I got left is my heart. And I'm going to leave it in the octagon. Bro, when Michael Chandler was getting hit with those shots, you seen that fight? Yeah, bro. All he had left a few times was his heart. Yeah, he showed all heart. It was amazing. It was just amazing. It just makes me appreciate these fighters, bro. And like, I know I'm one of them, but when I'm watching, it's just like, yo, these mother, mother efforts are just so damn tough. And putting well, all at, that, at that level, at that level, people don't pull out easy. You know, they, no. they didn't get that, uh, bro, because well, that heart, their heart's keeping them up on their feet, bro. They do not want to lose. That's the best fights. When you got two guys who really do not want to lose, which doesn't happen that often, which is funny enough. Like, there's always someone who mentally kind of checks out. You know, it's okay to lose. Like, they make an excuse for themselves. It's like anything, bro. It's all mindset, psychology. It's whatever. What are your degrees in? You know, I don't know, science, brain, brain science, neuroscience, and psychology. 
neuroscience. Yeah. So you're a brainiac. I'm super smart. Uh-huh. I'm super smart. No, I'm like, you ever no see, go, you, you ever so see, many, Google, no you ever see, you ever see, so many questions. Did you ever say, Google, <laughs> did you ever, I do ask a lot of questions, right? And you're, you're ADD, bro. Does not help. You don't answer any damn questions. Uh, yo, you ever see Google hunting? If I haven't seen it in a while. Uh, all right. You know what? Another one, the beautiful mind. You ever see that movie? Yes. Just pretend like Russell Crowe. Yeah, I'm su- I'm pretty much like that. It's like embarrassing because like I'm just so much smarter than everybody else that it gets awkward when I'm hanging out with people because like, ah, poor guy, they just don't get it like I do. <laughs> <laughs> I get everything so easy, there though. It just everything, everything comes easy to me. It's just I don't know. I spent some days with you on an airplane, <laughs> bro. We had some good times. All right, oh, I'm just kidding. I'm not we gotta get back. We gotta get back. Thank you, Miss Darlene, brother Wes. Oh, bro, um, my oh, man Wes, my Michelle girl Obama. Darlene. Yes. Well, he's retired now. He retired when yes. we were there, pretty much. Like the next, that was the last yep. trip. And where we went to in Afghanistan, not to go back to politics, but we're just keeping it real. When we went to Afghanistan, was Kabul Airport. That was in. Uh, no, well, that was Bag- Bagram. Went to Bagram and, Bagram and Kandahar. Kandahar. Bro, that is where this this was going on. You know that, right? Yeah. This That's is where we where... played basketball. And then we went into the Russian jail and we looked out and watched the jet take off. Bro, yeah, we were on the roof of a Russian jail. Yeah. Hanging out. And bro, what a trip. What a freaking trip. The the craziest thing to me, this is and this is my little personal story. I don't know if you spoke to this guy, but out of everything, what, what hit home the most was uh, I was talking to a bunch of the military, uh, a bunch of the uh, you know, military guys and one of them was a guy who's from Afghanistan, uh, but he, he, you know, escaped because his, his dad got killed uh, because he was playing a musical instrument. And I think some of his other family members got killed, too. So he escaped. He somehow got to Canada. He started work, working with uh, the Canadian uh, special forces like, you know, he wanted revenge back on the Taliban. Are you, yo, you just bounce out on my story, bro. Bro, did you just leave yeah. me? You just leave no. me? Oh, my little like puppy just knocked over everything right here. All the food, all the everything. Fuck. I'm sorry. It's all right. I'm, fuck. I'm like, bro, you don't like my story that much? You just bounced no, out. I love your story. I'm um, sorry. I just knocked over right there. I just had to nah, it's, it all, it's all good. Yo, so basically, he, he went to Canada and he started working for the U.S. And he was he was just telling me how bad the Taliban is, basically. You know, how his dad got killed because he was playing a musical instrument. And about three days before we got there... Um, some there was shooting like missiles into the base and there was bunkers all around the base. They told us, you know, you got to get under the bunkers if the alarms go off and they, we have like things that shoot the missiles out of the sky, but some can get through whatever. So it's kind of crazy. And I guess three days before that, some dudes were shooting the missile missiles into, into the base, but he goes, it's never the Taliban. What the Taliban do, they go to local villages and they go up to the family members, you know, to like fathers and, you know, sons. And they're just like, here's $5, go shoot this missile at that American base. And it's either they do that, take the $5, or they're them and their family get killed. So they have no yep. choice. So this, this guy has to now come and shoot a, long, shoot a rocket at a base, knowing that he's probably going to get killed by now that American soldier protecting their base. You know, uh, but it's to protect his family so his family doesn't kill, get killed by the Taliban. So just imagine being put in that type of situation. And then fast I mean, forward just, to now. There, just being there and then like being in a Russian prison, like they were there before us. Then we were there, we took over their base. They did the whole thing. 
and then I'm sure somebody will be there after us. I think China's already there, from what I heard. I don't know. You, you know, not, you see what I mean? Like, I don't think it's a permanent uh, home for anybody besides the Afghani people. And um, it's sad to see, you know, what goes on and what went on and how things went on that side of the world. But um, it's above my pay grade. And uh, I enjoyed the people that... I'll take it from here, Makua. I'll take it from here. (laughs) (laughs) The the Afghani people were super nice. They're super hospitable. All Afghanistan people we met, hung out, talked story with. I mean, you know, we were there. They were making all the food. They were all the people doing all the day-to-day stuff on the base. And it was like, you know, they were happy to be there. They were... um, you know, they're not, they're not bad people at all. I'm not trying to poison your food or this or that. You know, people have this, this stereotype of like, oh, if you're from the Middle East or, you know, Afghanistan, Iraqi people, ooh, Muslim. It's like they're, they're wonderful people as well. You know, they love life just as much as we do. And they have the right to live it as much as we do. And um, their circumstances they're under is, is really oppressive. And, um, you know, if we don't watch out here in this country, you know, Maybe, you know, the same thing could happen one day. So we always got to be thankful for what we do have. Um, spend as much time with our family and friends and loved ones doing what we love to do because you know, there's all that old saying, there's always something, someone who has it worse. And um, just knowing, you know, seeing the people's eyes, seeing the smiles in Afghanistan, seeing the smiles in, you know, uh, Iraq and some of those people, they just, you know, ordinary people like me and you that, that, that want to protect their families, that want to do right by their family. And sometimes they have to do things in situations where they have no choice. And uh, it's not because they're bad people. It's because they just have no choice. It's either this or all your children die. And, um, you know, it's hard to knock somebody for making a decision like that. But, um, you know, all my aloha and love to all the people out there in the Middle East, anybody on that side of the world that's listening to this podcast, we love you guys. And um, much aloha. Thank you for having us. Yeah, I love it. Um, you have a ukulele with you? You have a ukulele. That's, are you going to play a song for me at the end? Not yet, but it's something. I have a ukulele with me. You do, right? Come on, bro. Oh, look at that. Look, oh, yeah, I'm so happy. This is gonna be, <laughs> this, you guys are in for a treat. You got to hang on until the end. We got, oh. some more, we got some more to go, bro. But what is so we touched on it a little bit, but like what is on? Uh, not that I want to stay on this politics stuff so long, but it really is disgusting what I see was going on over in Hawaii. What is happening there, as far as restrictions and stuff? And what do you what do you really, di- what are you fighting for? Di- what are you guys trying to do? We have a dictator, not a governor. What is he? What, what that's is the dictator? My, that, that's, the, that's just my opinion. What's this dictator trying to do to you guys? Oh, I mean, you know, it's everything. They're trying to force everything down our throat. It's um. It's not what the government's trying to do to, I mean, I guess you got to be careful what words you choose nowadays, right? But uh, That's right, it's, um, you know, I know, that, I, I know that things and medicines are made for certain reasons and this and that, but to force something on someone is uh, not part of our constitution. It's not part of the country. It's not part of the foundations that this country was built upon. And I think here in the 21st century that uh, they've lost a lot of that foundation. They've lost a lot of that um, patriotism, I guess. I mean, it's hard for me because, you know, half of me is Hawaiian and we were, you know, overtaken. We were 
um, committed genocide. Uh, we were, our lands, our queen was thrown in jail. Our people were slaughtered by these same people that call themselves patriots and have all these rights and stuff. So for me, it's kind of a double-edged sword. But that being said, if there was a country that I had to choose to live in, it would be America. Yeah. Just, um, you know, it's, uh, it, it is what it is. And a lot of those things, like I said, it, it didn't matter if it was uh, one tribe or the other. You know, Hawaiians killed themselves. Um, you know, my great, my 11th, 12th great grandfather, you know, King Kamehameha, he had to go and do what he had to do. And he did it using European ships, guns, cannons, uh, you know, united the islands, but it was more like took the islands, I, I would say, you know. Um, oh, hang on. So, say, say, so hang on. Your 12th <laughs> great grandfather. Hold on one second. Hold on. I'm not going to leave you. Just hold right. on one second. It's all right. Yeah. No, dude, take your time, bro. We could edit this out. Here we go. So this is my genealogy. Who wrote that? Looks like a sewer map for the Ninja Turtles. That's crazy. I can't believe you just called my genealogy a sewer map. <laughs> There's no disrespect to everyone. Your, boy, your wife's not going to like that. No, that's messed up. <laughs> I'm crazy. I'm just like, was... so, my, <laughs> so my, so from Kamehameha the Great to his granddaughter. So wait, he was the king, right? Is he the guy yeah. who surfed? He was like the surfing king? No, he was the king that united the islands. You know when BJ stands there and when he goes and does that on the scale? Yeah, That's yeah. the king that... The great king of Hawaii, gotcha. King Kamehameha, he united the islands, you know, all that stuff. So there's my, this is my genealogy. So I'm pretty sure I'm number 13, 12 or 13 in line, but um, the great king. <laughs> hang on a second, bro. Hang on a second. Are you telling me <laughs> that you you are the king of Hawaii? Literally. No, I'm not the king. You should I'm... be the king if, the, if, if they didn't come over here and take it from your people, from Kamai Kamai. People don't believe me when I say that. I said, no, I'm sorry. I got my, I'm, bro, you know, like bro, the dogs everyone take, dogs, everyone take a screenshot of this. <laughs> you know, when you got animals and you want to get the right horse or something, you look at their pedigree. This is, this is my pedigree of bro. where I come from in the Hawaiian. <laughs> yeah, Yo, you're a breeder. You are a breeder. That's it right there, ladies and gentlemen. If you're looking for a Hawaiian king. Bro, you don't get like, you don't get anything for being the, the king? In the in genetic, as far as gene wise goes, well, uh, I guess we would if America didn't take us over. And you were the firstborn, right? Yes, I was the firstborn. Damn! So you like your brothers? You better be. You better be careful. Your brothers. Well, I'm the only. You. I'm the only son of my mom, which is it's on my mom's side. Oh, I didn't know that. So I'm the only son of my mom, so I don't have any brothers or anything that would be in so the no way. No one's trying to take. No one's trying to take your bloodline. No, no one's trying to do that. Oh, but your son. But your son. My son. Your my son. son he, he, you got to watch out for him, bro. He's coming for you. <laughs> this is coming Game for of you. Thrones. We're going Game of Thrones This here. is Game of Thrones. Bro, that really is crazy, man. I, who, who, like, who wrote this all down? Who, who put this together? Was it like a few oh. generations ago that like... So my mom's sister just... Um, my mom's sister had a... Looks, you know, got really into our genealogy. And looking into the um, where we come from, who we are, you know, in Hawaii back in the day, you used to state your genealogy and where you're from, you know, to know who you are. You're not, you know what I mean. You're Chris Weidman, but for them to know what 
tribe or you know what 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 place you come from you gotta state where you're from and um, who you are in in those ways because i don't think it was like uh this western way of thinking it was a lot different you know and um but going back to your uh Hang on, I want to stay there for one second, then we go to the politics. It is sad, bro, that I I love that you have that because I know about my grandfather and a little bit about my great grandfather, but then it kind of, then I don't really know anything. It's crazy. And I'm I'm sure they had, you know, everyone had special lives that are worth talking about that they'd love to pass down to me and, you know, as being the fourth removed or whatever. I don't know how you really say it, but it's crazy how the lives just, they just disappear and we move on. Even our family. Well it's, well, it's crazy. Like, you know, I guess nowadays they made all that 23 and me and all those kind of things. And um, for us to do it before all that stuff and look into it, it's just kind of a way of us just knowing who we are as a people, where we stand amongst, you know, Hawaii and, uh, and just, just to know where we came from, who our ancestors are, who we can pay homage to, who we can say thank you to, who we can, compete for and in the bloodline that we're representing and all of these people that came before us. So we know that everything that we do reflects, you know, the line and everybody that's, you know, whether they've done good or bad um, along the lines, you know, it's all, it's up to us to continue on our bloodline and make it proud, make it strong and make it carry on into the future of, of the world. Because, you know, here in Hawaii, it's pretty sad because in the not too near future, you will see the last pure Hawaiian. And I mean, unless they do a breeding program where they collect, you know, if they collect semen and eggs and all that kind of stuff and put it in the storage bank, um, there will be no pure Hawaiians left. But there is one Hawaiian, there's one Hawaiian Island that is only for people that are actually from like Hawaiian, right? Do they have to be a hundred percent Hawaiian or a certain well, a lot of, of the people that live on that island aren't pure Hawaiian either. Oh, are they supposed to be? No, it was a white man who bought the island. It was a white man who took the island. Bro, why you got a problem with the white man, bro? Come <laughs> oh, on, I'm, man. What do you mean? I'm white. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> whether I'm white, whether I'm black, something else, someone's always got something to say about it, right? Hey, that how's this? Guess what? So talk about politics um black lives matter came up and this and that and um you know just people are speaking on issues they um were passionate about and um and it was uh i somebody told me about oh you know you you wouldn't know something because you're white and i said well first of all i didn't choose the color of my skin but um you know me as a hawaiian be you know our place being taken over and, and becoming of Jewish descent, you know the Jews have been persecuted for hundreds of years, and you know millions of us were just exterminated. And the person went on to tell me, "Oh, the the Jews that doesn't matter. They weren't killed in America." And I was wow. like, "They told me straight that oh that it doesn't matter because it wasn't here in America." So we're talking about issues that are in America, and I was like, <sighs> like. Just like I couldn't even be offended because of the ignorance of some people. Like I said, just like I said earlier about the stereotyping about the Afghani people or people of the Middle East. Like to me, people are people. There's good people. There's bad people. Um, you know, and then you got to pick and choose who you surround yourself with and the color of someone's skin, the color of their eyes, 
their race, their belief, their religion. To me personally, it has no effect on me. I love everybody. Unless you do me wrong, I don't care what it is. We'll have an issue. But other than that, you know, I come from Hawaii, a place that shows aloha first, first and foremost. And I think that, um, yeah, I, I guess was tripping that somebody had the ignorance. I can't even say it like. <laughs> the audacity. No, I mean that too, but just, you know, just, I don't know. That, that didn't happen that long ago. <laughs> that wasn't even that long ago either. Like, it's crazy. It's amazing to me that, and I don't know the numbers, I'm not a historian, but the amount of, amount of Jewish people that were persecuted and killed, in concentration camps and everything, they're this small little area called Israel where the Jewish people, they gave that to them, you know, somehow they came together and now there's some of the most powerful people on this planet, you know, and some of the richest and they had nothing. Everything was taken from them, everything. And somehow they're, they were able to come together. They didn't victimize themselves, right? They just, they kept working, 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 working together. They didn't pull each other down and look at them. You know, you got to remember, man, Jesus was a Jew. Damn right, I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on one second. I'm plug my phone in because I don't want this to die. This is getting good. One second. All right, all right. Uh, yo, there's a question for you, my man. So how do, how do Hawaii natives feel about Taurus? Um, I guess it depends which Hawaii native you ask. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. But Hawaii has become so dependent on tourists. Um, whether or not local people or native people, indigenous people, whether or not they like them or not is not really the uh, question anymore. It's Hawaii is so reliant as an economy, as tourism, as an economy, that there's no way that the tourists cannot be here. Um, I think Hawaii would really suffer greatly if there were no tourists. And um, I think for the most part, a lot of the locals, a lot of Hawaiians, they love tourists. I mean, Hawaiians love to show hospitality. They love to show welcoming. They love to show aloha. So more people that they get to show that to, the better. Um, you might not say they like them to stay all the time. A lot of the tourists come and they don't leave. Um, maybe that, that's another issue. <laughs> but um, it's um, it's just a thing that we were we were born into. I wasn't, you know, we weren't here back in the ancient days, so I wouldn't know how that translates. You know, for me, I only can make an opinion on what I know and what I've seen and, and what I've experienced. So for me to talk on um, an issue or something that I wouldn't really know the difference of, I, I've always known Hawaii as having tourists. I've always known myself being a professional surfer for all these years, being a tourist in someone else's country and making friends over there and having them come here and, and, and um, enjoying my place and then going back and enjoying their place. I think tourists are an essential part of Hawaii nowadays. And going into the future, I think they always will be. We've seen with COVID, how um, how many people suffered um, with job loss, with business loss, with you know how many businesses had to close, how many um, people were on the unemployment and couldn't even get unemployment because it's like our unemployment machine broke because there were so many, you know, with the amount of tourists that are here, the amount of people that work, and the jobs that are created from that tourism industry supports 
I would say almost half of Hawaii. Um, you know, work in some kind of tourist industry. I mean, I have a yeah. shark boat tour. I have shark boats that, you know, go and teach people about the sharks in the ocean. And without the tourists coming here, I wouldn't have a company either. I wouldn't have a surf league if tourists didn't come here. And, you know, the WSL and the people from far away came here and done these, you know, surfing is a Hawaiian sport. You know, we created the sport surfing. But they've turned it into a league. They turned it into a, a business. They turned it into opportunity for children to leave Hawaii. You know, so the tourism industry has um, sparked a lot of controversy in the past. And I think it's just the tourists that don't have respect for the place that they're in. Because mm. you know, like I said, not all tourists are bad tourists. Um, the ones that come here, they have no respect for the place. They throw their trash on the ground. They go out to the bars and get drunk and cause fights. They you know, it's a lot of people are here to just come and enjoy with their family and get away from their reality, which has is is a total different world. It's like they're coming to another planet. Some people are in Hawaii with the beautiful beach and the warm water and the sun all day long. And some of these people work, you know, 60, 80 hours a week mm. just to be able to come and bring their family to enjoy. So, you know, tourism is not a bad thing to me. Um, and I think to answer your question... We need we we need the tourists here um, to support this economy in the way that Hawaii is structured nowadays. Yeah, talk to me about the Dahui. What is the Dahui? So Dahui is a clothing company. Is that how it started? Um, no. So the Hui oh. Oheenalo okay, Club <laughs> is a whole different story. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. So the Hui was um, a spinoff. <laughs> Are you making sure your dad doesn't come here and beat your ass? Because I just looked over at my TV and um, there's a TV show. Uh, you know how Netflix just goes through the um, different shows that are on there? Yeah. And I, when I looked over for a show that was kind of like our club. It was on TV and I just had to have a smile at it because as soon as you asked me, I looked over and it kind of popped up. That's hysterical. <laughs> That's weird. That's weird. And I was cracking up. But anyway, the Huyo Heinalu, um, from my recollection, um, from what I know, the stories I've heard, so I wasn't there during the, the formation of it. My dad was, um, he was one of the founding members. There was a few of them, mostly Native Hawaiians. And um, they were, I can't really say, my dad would be able to say exactly why the club was started. Um. And I think it was just them being them and um, putting a kind of like Robin Hoods, I would say. Um, a lot of people were coming. A lot of people were coming to Hawaii to exploit Hawaii. A lot of people were coming to Hawaii to take advantage of the surf. Um, they thought, oh, we're the this people or that people get out of our way. We surf where we want, how we want kids get out of here. This is our spot. We're taking over and. You know, my dad and his friends uh, didn't like that. Yeah. They didn't like to see the locals being treated as second-class people. And then, you know, we had to bow down to these other people that were coming here. So they set a precedent that if you're going to come here, this is the way it's going to be. Not how you guys want it. Our children should come first. You know, when the children, when the kids are surfing out there, let them catch waves too. Yeah. Just take all the waves. Don't just, you know, and I, I think it, 
extended to outside of the water and some extra, extracurricular activity as well. Um, people bring with them certain things that people might not like. Um, and, you know, they wanted to put an end to a lot of that stuff. They didn't want um, their community being poisoned well, with outside influence of certain types, I would say. And um, they did a good job at it. The North Shore wouldn't be the way it is without the wheelhead and all of and what all of the members of it, not just my father, because he was just one of the, you know, people that were, was in the group. There was a lot of people that, um, you know, stood side by side with him. You know, they all stood on the same pedestal. The Hui was, Hui Ohe'enalo was one group. It wasn't this guy and everybody under him. It was more, as I seen it, everybody was together. And gotcha. um, everybody had their part and their job at doing what they were going to do. Um, allegedly they were a surf gang. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, even the New York times out there in New York, you guys like to write about us out here. And, um, oh. you know, it's a, it's a, it's a club. That had we, a like the, we like mafia. We like mafia history. We like, we like, we like old, all that type of stuff. Mafia. I remember one time, uh, I forget what magazine it was. It was a big football magazine. They had, a. I think it was Drew Brees on the cover, and uh, they did a, a, a article. It said it was right when they had the Growing Up Gotti show. They had a big article, and it's called Growing Up Rothman. Get out of here! Yeah, <laughs> Bro, look at this. This guy's this. So this is this is I mean, another way up, how this guy's humble. Up. He's a king. He's a king, and he's up. the head of the gang. Oh no, no, my dad. My dad's. My dad's still here. <laughs> And uh, let's not forget about that. And, no, um, no, no. I'm talking about you the, know, king, he, um, the king of Kamai Kamai. Is that how you say it? Is it? Sure. Kamai. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but, um, you know, it's uh, if you look up my dad, there's no secrets on him. You know, they called him a six. He was a $5 million bill, which you can imagine is a lot. And he told the judge, hey, why man. not raise it another million so they could call me a $6 million man? And I could have the highest bail ever in Hawaii. Did you they know, give it to like him? That. Yeah. <laughs> so does he? Is he still the reigning champ of the six million dollar bill? Like another six million dollar bill, but I'm pretty sure his. If you can look it up, his public record. They had um, you know, if you type in "Fast Eddie Rothman," have your producer back there type it up. Real quick. Yeah. You'll see a lot of the stories, and um, you know, I mean, I have PTSD ever since I was a kid. They broke down my our front door, which was open. All they had to do was walk in, crushed it off the hinges, and I was in the living room sleeping. And uh, put the guns to my head, and I was just a kid, like fucking Steve, fucking fucking Steve, oh, all this crazy shit. You know, my mom wasn't, you know, naked in the sh in the shower, and they're coming to get my dad, and it was like, um, I don't, I don't know how many people it was. My dad, I said it was ninety two, and I got, I got scoldings for saying there's too many people there. But my dad, the last time, so I think it was more like seventy or something, which is still pretty crazy for one person his wife and his child, but they're making my dad out to be this crazy monster. And, you know, all these alleged charges. I mean, I don't know if he was facing 90 to a hundred years in jail. I'm not sure, but, um, he beat all charges. Wow. He was acquitted on all charges. A lot of the police committed fraud. Um, a lot of the police at the time were crooked. Um, and he was a one of a kind dude. And, um, there's not many people like him that, are alive today or not in jail for the rest of their life. And, um, you know, but he always, prom he always made me promise one thing when I was young. He said, boy, please don't ever be like me. 
because you can't. There'll never be another me. You know, people tell you, oh, you, you had to fall in your dad's shoes and try and pressure you into doing this or that. But, you know, these things I had to do, I had no choice. I came from nothing, from the garbage. And I did what I had to do so you guys can live a better life. But it kind of confused me at first because fucking life didn't start out too wonderful for me. You know what I mean? All these raids and, you know, yeah. they took away our, uh, all of our stuff. We're on the beach. Um, li I lived in a tent right here, right where our house is now, right back here. I used to live in a tent in the bushes back in the day. Mm. And, uh, you know, I used to dig a hole in the sand to use the bathroom and shower in the water holes and, you know, stuff like that. So it was um, just to be here today for me is a blessing. The stuff that I've went through, I mean, both sides of my family have a little controversial past in Hawaii. And um, you, you, you know, your mom, you're saying? Yeah, my grandma's side is really. Yeah, my grandma's brother was my grandma's brother was one of my dad's partners. Um, okay. And then there was the big thing where you know, uh, I guess it's public, but uh, you know, my uncle was supposed to kill my mom, and you know, all these kind of things, and because of whatever cases was going down, and one day he told me that. Oh, I never kill her because I couldn't look at you after, you know, because I loved you. I never kill your mom. And this was her uncle. Her Wait, he said this to you? Yeah, he told me. That's something. How old were you when you heard that? Talking about your New York mafia, guys. You know, I think that there's a history of stuff that went on everywhere in the world. And for me to be grown up in that time, um, you know, I was born in the 80s, you know, just yeah. like you, 84. And it was still pretty, you know, it's kind of towards the ending of all that stuff yeah. but it still was carrying over and the, the the old school guys still had the mentality of the you know 60s 70s when yeah. it was really dangerous and um yeah my uncle was uh my uncle was a straight killer straight up and uh he's dead now so it is what it is but uh you know was, he, was, was he a nice guy though uh no that's a that's an interesting question right like uh, he's a killer but is he a nice guy no, he wasn't nice. Um, he beat up his own family, knocked out my cousins out cold in front of me. I mean, I watched my auntie get cleaned out, sleeping in the bushes, and then here comes my cousin, boom, and my, his sister's eyes ripped open, and she's, next you know, he's like telling them that he loves them and like sewing her eyes shut with the stitches. Mm. And like, yeah, I grew up in a pretty gnarly life, man. It wasn't, Pretty in the beginning. Actually, my grandma calling me. Ah, sorry, grams. Oh my god. But uh, sorry, grandma just had a call. But uh, yeah, her side of the family was gnarly, and it was a really crazy time where I thought one side of my family was going to kill the other side of my family, and it was so crazy because I didn't know. Like, my dad asked me, you know, you want a graduation party, or you know, I'll just give you five grand, and I just took the five grand because instead of paying for the party, because I didn't know if I could. I didn't want to have to invite one side of the family and not the other. And if I invited both of them, I didn't know what was going to happen. So it was like my whole life, I was just stressed out about, you know, you know, I had dreams of like people burying me in fishes, like big marlins, like, oh, just join me in the marlin and we'll bury the fish. And they won't, you know, like just the stuff that I had to go through because stuff that I seen when I was young, no kid should have to go through that shit. No kid should have to, um, you know, watch that kind of stuff. But I mean, like I said, just imagine in Afghanistan what the kids have to go through. I mean, my thing wasn't 
that bad. But to a child, you don't really know the difference. You know, bad is bad. And, um, you know, that's why sometimes a lot of the time, actually, a lot of my time is given back to children's functions, hospitals, um, schools, whatever I can do to go and try and speak to kids to make them have a better day, sign posters, just to see children laugh. Because I know a lot of the children in those crowds have something inside that's going on or, or have some kind of issue in their family that's bothering them. And just one smile could change it all. You know, one person saying the right thing could, you know, give them hope to know that there's a better, better life. Um, and just because it is the way it is now, it doesn't mean it will always be that way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, the, the hui um, on Hawaii is super respected. Is it fair to say, like, as far as gang go or clubs? I'm going to show you. Hold on. I'm going to show you another thing. Hold on. I was just looking through my stuff. Sorry. I was just looking through my stuff the other night. And I had a newspaper clipping. My wife saves all like the world champion, World Cup, all the newspaper clippings and stuff. And there was a newspaper clipping of uh, one of the original articles that I've gotten from my dad when they first raided and did all that stuff in 1988. You know, it's just so funny you're asking me about it. Yeah, I was just crazy. looking at it. I think she took it and laminated it, but I was going to show you. It was the, the front page of the newspaper talking about you know, just like you said, the whole year, they called it the black shorts back then. It's called the black shorts. That's right, bro. I heard that. I heard that from a, a white, the white guy. Now I'm saying white guy from a dude who's from America. He's from New York. He used to go surfing, I think in the eighties and the nineties and, you know, maybe, uh -huh. yeah, I think in the eighties and nineties, older dude. And he said like, he knew your name. He, it was after I came back from the USO tour and he saw I was with Makua Rothman and he came up to me at the desk. He's like, you with Makua, Rothman, you have no <laughs> idea. Like, he's royalty there. Like, he is royalty. When, when they're like the Dehui or the Blacks, the, what are the Black Shorts? When the yeah. Black Shorts are on waves. You had to stay away. You, like, I, I, I did not want any problems with them. Very, <laughs> it was crazy. It was crazy. He was going nuts. Um, yeah, but tell what's the deal with the Black Shorts? If you had Black Shorts on, that was a sign of, that you were with the Dehui? It was a club short. So our club had a short. And if you didn't, what's so funny about it is only the members got them. Only the men got them back then. And um, they were only for certain people. And if you had a pair of shorts on, like somehow people would get shorts or, you know, what was crazy is it was the beginning of the meth thing in Hawaii mm. was in the nineties, uh, you know, late eighties, nineties. And some of the, club members like anybody else get, would get hooked on drugs and trade their shorts or however they would do it. And the people that got caught with those shorts on would have to take them off right there. So they'd catch the guys at the beach, lumps, and you took your short and they took the shorts off. Bare balls right there in the park. <laughs> you like scrap, bro. You like what wouldn't scrap. Even like scrap. Wouldn't even be like you like scrap. It just if take one guy from the club seen the people with those shorts on was automatic fight whether the club guy lost and the other guy with the shorts on were tougher doesn't matter then it would just be like 50 other people would come but that inevitably they'd have to take those shorts off and it was usually one guy they didn't usually uh lose that many times those guys were pretty violent people <laughs> 
<laughs> was it was it usually tourists that were making that mistakes or was it like no it was native- just like other local people that wanted to make like they were part of the club or people that wanted because there was that mystique oh stay away if he's got these shorts on or yeah. this or that people would try and use it as an advantage you know for <laughs> advantages that weren't made for them <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i think you know I, like i said i was I was just a kid back then, and so I just watched it. But to see it, it was gnarly. To see a grown man have to take his shorts off in the middle of the park. That is crazy. <laughs> it was just what it was. I mean, bro, they can't be pretending to be something they're not, bro. They got to they gotta, I mean, they gotta you, you suffer the consequences. Make, you try and make like you're part of any crew or hui. Hui means uh, like uh, hui means stick together. It means club or something. So hui o he'enalu was a club of the wave rider, a club of the wave slider. And um, yeah, it was uh, the wave riding club. And, and there's movie here, movies made of them. There was global documentaries made about it. There's been the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Huffington Post, so you can name it. They've been here to do their due diligence on this little club we all here in the Pacific Islands. Bro, I'm... What do you think? Can I get Fast Eddie on this podcast? Do you think he'll Love do? A, do you think he'll give a old tell at some point? I want him, just him at some point. You can get him now if you want. But Love it in just home. Hey, no. yeah, at <laughs> some point, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like I, I'm sure he knows all these dudes from. So I had on my second episode of my podcast ever. I had Lou Neglia and Ray Longo. Ray Longo is my coach. Lou ne- Louis Neglia is the promoter of the ring of combat, which is the promotion that I started in before I got into UFC. But he also is super like surrounded by, you know, he grew up in, uh, in Brooklyn in a, in a part of Brooklyn that was, it's like famous for where the mafia was, you know, uh, it was the epicenter of the mafia and a lot of his friends and everything. He was an Italian guy, obviously too. So, you know, it was almost cool. It was like what you wanted to be. If you were Italian, you were going to, you know, be a part of the mafia. And that's like, it wasn't frowned down upon because it also, there was obviously they were doing some bad things, but there was no other place and probably no other time where you could walk around. You could walk at like three in the morning as a female and not ever have to worry about anything happening to you. Cause the so mafia you know ran those streets. There was no drug dealers sitting on the corners because that made it look bad and they didn't want it there. So if you were a drug dealer trying to sell drugs, you were, you were done. You know what I mean? That's what that's, you know, what's so funny about that is I just went to the school I went to my daughter's school because something happened with some kids and something. And she goes, you know what? There was a time when your dad guys used to do their thing and we could do whatever we want as kids over here. Families could do and go as they please and not have to worry about anything. And if something happened, it was taken care of. And nobody wanted to go against your father there. Um, Nobody wanted to go. And um, what you're saying about you know, Brooklyn at the time, the North Shore at once upon a time was like that too. It was a place where you could go out at night and not um, and not worry. You could go out and, um, you know, families could do everything they wanted to do and not have to worry about, you know, people on the streets robbing them or the kids could go and surf and know that they were safe. They can go and catch waves. Nobody was going to go out and bother the kids or do this and that. So, you know, people, like you said, they like to make these people like, oh, it's the mafia or, the, you know, it's the Julio Hitanalo there, these bad guys doing these bad things. But that's why I said it's more like a Robin Hood because they were looking after their own people. You know, like right now in time, they weren't counting on government. They weren't counting on these other people to provide for their people. They were out there doing what they had to do to make their place safe. 
because no one else was going to do it. Period. Nobody cared, you know, about those places. Nobody cared. The cops didn't care about Brooklyn. Right? They didn't care about the North Shore. It was just a place way out in the country. And, you know, they thought, well, people could get away with whatever they want. So they kind of took it into their own hands and made it their a, a way of a family way of life that people could go out and and um know that their place was safe. Yeah. I'm with you. What is what does your dad think of this whole the, the mandates, the mass and everything going on in uh, oh, Hawaii? Is he losing his mind? Try and tell someone that was never been able to told what to do. You can never tell that guy what to do. Obviously, look at his rap sheet. Yeah. You're not gonna tell him what to do. You're not gonna tell him what to do now. Like yeah. you know. Uh, so he must he's be down, torn he's up. Down the wormhole and all that stuff, and uh, it's. Uh, is he down the wormhole? He's like he's he's like researching all this stuff and going nuts with it, or is he kind of looking the other way? Oh, he's like standing up to fight. He's going with the rallies. He's joining the boys, and like I said, he was always pretty much not against the establishment, but just against crookedness, against people that were doing shady stuff to 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 the people. You know, yeah. They always wanted to make sure the people were taken care of. And in his eyes, the people aren't being taken care of, especially not here in Hawaii. Yeah. Um, you got BJ Penn running for governor. Go BJ. You know what I mean? Go BJ. Does like, he have a chance? Uh, how much, what, what percentage chance does he have of winning? What do you think? I don't know. I hope he's got a 100% chance of winning. I mean, it's either BJ Penn or the people that are running our government now. Let's go. Well, BJ who, Penn. Who's the other op? Is there? I, I'm with you on BJ Penn, but is there? You know any... how close me and BJ are. I mean, we uh, brought him on that trip with us. Like, yeah, BJ's a know, man. He, BJ is. I love BJ. He's a he's just great um, person. You know, I think. Um, I mean, we have Vicky Cayetano, which is an ex governor's wife, trying to run. We have she, Mayor... she's on the same page. Like she's she's about you know freedom. No, she's about the same bullshit as always. Uh, um, I mean, I'm not sure exactly, but I can only imagine. But yeah. And we have Kurt Caldwell. We know what side he's on. Uh, he was our mayor of Honolulu. He's a, he's a donkey. I'll tell him straight to his face. He's a donkey. He makes donkey moves. And um, we have Josh Green, who's our lieutenant governor right now, who is like, uh, you know, he's even works for Pfizer. I mean, he works for, he's been paid. I don't know how much money it came out that he was on their payroll for whatever. To, you know, he's Bro, everyone's on Pfizer's payroll. Everyone's on all these pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical like, company payrolls. It's insane, bro. Like, think about it. Me and you, we know what it's like to be sponsored, right? Would you ever say something bad about one of your sponsors publicly? You would never, you get paid by them, right? You don't, you wouldn't do that. I know it's not popular for us to even say that, but that's the truth. Unless it's something we truly don't believe in, right? You know, but you're probably going to lose your job. You're going to lose your money. And-, and you figure working in the government, it's not like you're making that much money as a lieutenant governor. You don't make millions of dollars. You're basically there to serve the public. And if you're not there to actually serve the public and be of the people, then why are you there? These well, people because- know that, that there's monetary gain. They know that they can get these companies. They know that the position of power wields them the ability to do, make these kinds of moves. Yeah. Like our governor, he was, you know, supposedly there was a thing where there was a security company that was paid millions of dollars by the TMT that is trying to build the telescope. Oh, uh, really? Okay, yeah, it makes you know, sense. If I, and I think if people really felt that strongly about our sacred mountain and how we all got together from Mauna Kea, you know, I, I wish that all of Hawaii would feel that strongly about our sacred bodies which are probably the most sacred things that we have 
and come together and, and march and stand like we did for the Mauna to stand for our choices and our freedoms. But, you know, the media, the mind manipulate, you know, you're a mind guy, you're a neural guy. The way that people <laughs> manipulate people's minds through media, through, I mean, there's actual studies and scientific ways to divide people through media, through different ways of, I don't even know what they call it, but they're not stupid. They've been doing this for a long time and they've been doing it in the countries where you did not have a choice. And it comes from those people that researched it and they know how to use propaganda. They know how to use mass media. It's like, it's almost like, you know, there's masters and PhDs of just doing that. Yeah, yeah. they know how to mind control, bro. It's not that hard. The behavior science, like you got these guys who are focused on behavior science, knowing what your action is, what, what kind of reaction is going to come from your action. And then the reaction from that, if you're, if that's what you're focused on, it's, you're probably going to be able to figure out how the human, how human beings are going to react when well, it's not hard. Given it's, not hard when, it's not hard when every single day on your phone, you give them the roadmap to your mind, everything mm-hmm. you think, everything you say, everything you look for that you research, everything you do is on that phone. All of that data, they take that and they use it against you. They know, okay, usually he watches this at this time. Usually they says these things in his text messages. You know, this kind of ideology, I don't know how protected all of our stuff is in the phone and cloud world, but I'm sure it's not hard to predict how someone's going to act after just watching what they do on their phone. I mean, they know exactly what I feel like I might want to buy. Like as soon as I think about it, almost it's yeah, crazy. because it pops up on your phone. Yeah, it pops up on my phone. All of a sudden, I'm looking at Instagram ads of you know, you know, black shorts. Now I'm going to be looking at black shorts because my phone's over here. <laughs> I, mean, I swear, I'm be buying it's some black shorts. Mafia. Next thing you know, some mafia shit's going to pop yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's freaking crazy, man. Um, anyway, bro, let me let you go. You get on with your day, but before we do that. Can you perform for me, bro? Can you put it on? Can you put oh, it on for the people? Not, Show the I'm people that Aloha spirit. Give me, give me some aloha. <sighs> okay, there we go. Without further ado, I don't know, even, I don't know if I'm even in the singing voice. You got it. <clears throat> what, song, what song are we going with here? Here we go. I gotta go to ready. Go. Oh, On the beaches, the people are watching the ancient sports of our forgotten king. But if you see a white trail of water, a ribbon high and low, it is the trail of the Ohe'ena'alu. Ohe'ena'alu, 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 in the channel. As big as a mountain, you see the waves grow as tall as the coconut tree. And if you see a white 
trail of water, oh, we've been high and low. Hey, hey, hey. This the trail of the Ohenalu. Oh, hello, oh, hello, oh, hello, oh, <laughs> the Louis song for you. <laughs> that was awesome. I love it. My man, my brother. My brother. Uh, bro, I miss you, man. Hope to see you soon. Awesome. Thank you I so much for doing this, bro. Honestly, doing. I know you're busy as hell. Thank you. Bang, bang, bang. I'm never too busy for brothers yeah, like you. Yeah. We Thank need you. more brothers like you in this world. Thank love you, man. Brother. Same you too, bro. I'm love to the love. OMG. How don't you love that guy? Uh, good looking. He could talk. He uh, is an entrepreneur. He's a world champion. Uh, he could play the ukulele and he could sing like an angel. I honestly, I think uh, God hit him with way too many talents and it's unfair for the rest of us in this world. Um, but anyway, I love this guy. He's such a chill dude. I feel better just talking to him. That aloha spirit. You could feel that. Like if you haven't been to Hawaii before, like I'm sure a lot of you haven't, that's that's that feeling that people get when you go to Hawaii, that aloha, just happy, loving feel. Uh, and he brings that to the table. And let alone the fact that this guy is crazier than me. I mean, I fight in the cage. Everyone thinks that's crazy. But he has ridden a 66-foot wave. I mean, Mother Nature is something you don't want to mess with. You don't know what's going to happen once that wave comes down on you. Uh, people die all the time. So, you know, this guy is... Uh, he really is an inspiration, and it was awesome talking to him. Remember, if you want to hear more conversations like this one I just had with McCoy Rothman, all you have to do is click that follow button on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you do your listening. And while you're there, please leave a show review on Apple Podcasts so that you could tell us how we're doing. I'll be back next week with another great guest. But until then, I'm Chris Wyman, and this is Won't Back Down. Thanks for listening.